Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm the director and principal consultant for an animal health research consulting firm called Acer Consulting, which is based in Guelph, Ontario. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. You'll find this channel features a number of different series, from animal care to biosecurity and beyond. This podcast series features conversations with farmers, veterinarians, nutritionists, hoof trimmers, and other farm advisors, researchers, and many other industry stakeholders. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Clem Nash, a dairy researcher from southwestern Ontario that now works for the Dairy Farmers of Canada. Dr. Nash has assisted Holstein Canada in training validators to perform locomotion scoring as part of the animal-based measures for ProAction. I sat down with her to discuss her perspectives on managing the score three, or monitor cows, to performing regular assessments as a proactive approach to preventing lameness. So let's jump in. Clem, thanks for uh, sitting down today. It's a pleasure to get to chat with you about lameness and a variety of perspectives that you bring to the table. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. So um, I want to sort of start off with um, a little bit of an introduction. We have a wide listenership. The The podcast is intended for Canadian producers, but of course, a number of other people will listen to it given the, you know, the importance of the issue uh, that is lameness in, in the Canadian dairy industry. So can you give us a, the listeners a bit of a sense of who you are and what your background is? Sure. Uh, so I'm Clem Nash. I uh, am the commercial lead for Digital Insights at Cargill right now. Prior to this role, I've been in it for about a year now. I was the ruminant business manager for Novus International in Canada. And uh, while employed with them, managed their cows program in Canada. During both of my jobs, uh, I completed the PhD uh, that uh, I did at the University of Guelph Population Medicine Department, the uh, Ontario Vet College. And that PhD program uh, was mostly focused on animal welfare in dairy cows in Canada, trying to assess what the level of animal welfare was for dairy cows and potentially some risk factors associated with common issues such as lameness and injuries and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that process, I learned a lot about lameness and uh, visited a lot of farms across Canada. Uh, then in my role with Novus, continuing on the cows program, which is an on-farm animal welfare assessment program, uh, visited a lot more farms and talked a lot about lameness and realized very quickly that lameness was a pretty um, large ongoing issue on a lot of farms in Canada. And then I did some work in the U.S. as well and realized that the U.S. is also experiencing a lot of challenges around that. Uh, and saw a lot of different people finding and trying to find different ways of, of dealing with that problem. Mm-hmm. And then also a lot of people that maybe weren't aware of the extent of the problem that was present. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of talking more about that today with you. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I'm excited to jump in because I think you've got a really unique perspective that way, really practical, really focused on, like you say, what have North American and well, glo- and I know you've done a lot globally as well. So what have producers across the globe done to address the issue? And um, and then what does the research tell us? You know, how do we blend those two together? Um, but maybe just as a, as a, to get everyone on the same page and, and to jump in to, before we jump in uh, into the detail, why are we so concerned about lameness? What is it about the issue that makes it such an important issue for our industry? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, everyone has a different answer to that question in the industry, which um, maybe is part of the problem that we're still dealing with lameness after all talking about it for many, many years. Um, but I think that for me, one of the, the major reasons that I'm interested in lameness is because it is an animal welfare problem. Mm-hmm. Research has shown it is painful. Um, and I mean, anecdotally, I think we can all agree that a cow that's severely limping is probably doing so because she's in pain on that foot or on those feet. But uh, additional to that, lameness, particularly mild lameness, goes undetected and yet is causing and wreaking havoc on those cows' um, potentials for for good reproduction, good fertility, good production. Um, any kind of mild stress to severe stress is going to affect those things. And so we're probably um, losing a lot of opportunity for efficiency uh, on dairy farms across Canada and around the globe. Uh, so there's that perspective. And then lastly, the consumer confidence piece is also a really important one. Um, I think there are many animal welfare issues that maybe are less visible than lameness is. And lameness is one of those that that people immediately can see doesn't look right and isn't okay. Um, and that is inclusive of people within our industry and people outside of our industry. And so how can we uh, make sure that we take into account those concerns and address them? So kind of three pieces to that answer, I guess, for you. Yeah, well, and I think I mean, you're right. And it's, it's a multi-pronged issue mm-hmm. in terms of what's causing it and why are we dealing with it still after so many years, decades, you know, mm-hmm. of, of researching and trying to address the issue. But um, I think you've, you've pretty well summed up how people in the industry look at it too, right? It's a, it, like you say, it's an efficiency issue. There's an economic component. There's a mm-hmm. huge welfare component. Um, and it's a challenge for pretty much every dairy farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Hopefully one day it won't be, but yeah, it is. So ProAction, uh, you know, you mentioned the consumer confidence piece and ProAction is our quality assurance program that's really trying to address that and, mm-hmm. and a number of issues, of course. But um, when it comes to lameness specifically, um, one of the first things it's trying to do is uh, assess the level of lameness on a farm. For far- producers, regardless of whether it's a, a ProAction assessment or not, how can producers reliably assess lameness on their farm? Yeah, great question, um, which actually reminds me that I have another job that I do. Uh, so uh, in, speaking of ProAction, um, I do contract work for Dairy Farms of Canada where I train all of the assessors going on farm scoring cows for lameness for that program mm-hmm. um, and also do check-ins every six months to make sure that they're still scoring cows consistently. Lameness right now and scoring lameness, or in this case, scoring locomotion uh, more accurately, is done fairly subjectively. And it's challenging because what I consider a lame cow, uh, you may not consider a lame cow. You may wait till she's much more severe to realize or to think that she's actually got a problem. Right. Um, and, and because I focus so much on lameness and on scoring lameness, I may detect a very mild problem very early on um, that someone who spends a lot less time doing it because they don't want to stand in an alley watching cows walk by for hours uh, might not pick up on. And do we agree once we do identify that problem, if it's mild, that it is lameness? And generally we don't uh, in, in cases like that. So, so I think the key here is um, to make sure that when you are scoring cows, there's a couple of different things that you should do. You should make sure that uh, you have a good baseline. Do you know what a normal cow looks like? And it comes back to the point of uh, what we call barn blindness or what we started to call barn blindness, where 
If you have a, a herd of cows that have a problem and you see them every day, throughout the day, after a number of days, you start to normalize that problem and just, this is, this is my reality, this is how things are now, and you don't notice the problem as uh, well as you used to. Uh, and that becomes challenging to what your baseline is. You don't know anymore whether what you consider a lame cow is actually what everyone else considers a, a lame cow or a, a sound cow and what everybody else considers a sound cow. So having a very consistent baseline is important. And how I do that in training is there's some videos that I, I use uh, that don't change over time. The mm -hmm. same cow is shown. And I scored them with the help of a number of other people to make sure that our opinions were all, we could all agree on, on the level of locomotion of those cows. That cow, one, number one, is an acceptable cow. That is a sound cow. Always having something to refer back to to remember that is a sound cow. And then go back to your cows and compare to is going to be important because otherwise you're just going to start normalizing your cows as normal cows and then lame cows are going to be more severely lame cows and it's just kind of a vicious cycle. Um, so that would be my number one tip when you're trying to score cows for locomotion using visual observation of their movement. Um, make sure you understand what the baseline is, what a normal cow looks like and have a reference mm -hmm. and then check on that reference fairly regularly. Additional to that is just um, to keep practicing. Scoring your own cows is great, but sometimes it's helpful to go and see other cows. Uh, visit neighbor farms if you're doing farm tours. Great opportunity to see how other cows walk. Um, do some some lameness practice. You don't have to be outspoken about it. You don't have to say out loud to the, the, the friend that you're visiting that you're scoring his cows for lameness <laughs> or her cows. Uh, but you can do your own practice fairly easily. Cows are walking around in the pens all the time in freestalls. And that, again, is locomotion scoring for freestalls. We flip, flip over to tie stalls. Uh, things get a little trickier. It's a lot harder to see cows walk when they're uh, in a tie stall system, mm -hmm. especially if um, cows aren't going out to pasture on a regular basis. And so we've, uh, with the help of many researchers, developed a method that was originally, uh, that originally came out of the UK to score lameness in cows that are standing in their stalls using a number of different behaviors like uh, resting a foot or hanging part of the foot off the, the edge of the stall, uneven movement, all of those kinds of things. Um, and that method is publicly available. You can find it on most websites. The Dairy Farmers of Canada website has some quick guides on that. Uh, most of the provincial organizations do as well. There's a video on the National Dairy Study website that you can look up. Um, and so that method, because it's so new, a lot of people aren't as familiar with it. Um, but it's a great resource, especially those videos, to refer to to really understand the kinds of behaviors we're looking for. And then once you've got some experience, it takes a little bit of practice to really get good at detecting those problems early. Mm -hmm. uh, uneven weight when your cow's moving side to side in a stall, especially if she's milking on one side and she jumps to the other side. I mean, it can get tricky to differentiate what's uneven. What is she? Is she sore or stiff or is she just being jumpy? Mm -hmm. um, but that can be a really helpful resource um, to do. And you don't have to do it very um, consistently, as in you don't have to stand there behind a cow and follow the exact method to T every day to do a good job of identifying when a cow is starting to look sore or become lame. Um, even when you're milking, when you're noticing certain behaviors that are off, that the behaviors that we've isolated in that method, um, you'll get a pretty good idea if a cow's off her norm or mm -hmm. off her baseline. Um, and then lastly, for both of those methods, just getting some outside eyes. Honestly, barn blindness or... or um, we also say observer drift, which is just somebody who um, isn't uh, as unbiased in their observations as they once were, um, can be helped by having someone else come in and 
you can kind of compare notes and see whether your scoring is matching up with someone else's scoring. Um, having veterinarians take part in that process is really important, although you do have to be careful that sometimes veterinarians can also become barn blind to their clients. Uh, so veterinarians themselves also have to make sure that they're training and they're keeping their baseline accurate. Um, and, and just, yeah, make it a team effort and, and make sure that everyone on the farm is um, trying to do their best to identify when a cow is starting to look off. Mm-hmm. And I, I like what you said. I mean, I'd sum it up as, uh, you know, the abnormal com- becomes normal in a lot of cases and not just with lameness. I mean, we talk about that for calves scouring or really any condition that can occur, in, not just in cows, in, in people too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the abnormal just steadily becomes normal. My back aches, my, you know, my back hurts and this is the normal now. Um, and so the, the, the takeaway for me is there is no such thing as normal in some cases, uh, when you're comparing across farms. So you need to really go back and say, well, yeah, am I comparing apples to apples? Exactly. And the other thing is that practice does make perfect. So Mm -hmm. even though more scoring can sometimes lead to barn blindness, um, it can also lead to you being better at detecting problems earlier. Mm -hmm. You start realizing that um, that little hitch in the hind right isn't normal. um, And you didn't pick up on it when you first started scoring cows for lameness, but Mm -hmm. you're starting to pick up on it now because you've scored so many cows and have kept a good baseline to understand what is normal. Uh, And that is the biggest key is to really identify cows as early as possible Mm -hmm. um, prior to them becoming severely lame. And I think based on the research that we've done, that I've done, and the visits that I've done, most farms are doing a pretty good job of dealing with cows once they're pretty obviously lame, like mm-hmm. three-legged lame or cows that are fours and fives uh, for proaction, for example. Uh, most farms have less than 10% of those, which is great. Ideally, you'll have none. Um, but the mildly lame cows are still very present and building up much more rapidly mm-hmm. they, than they once were, I think, um, which is possibly why we're still dealing with that problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and that sort of, for me, hits the, the crux of the issue in many ways, which is, um, and, and just for everyone listening, you know, when we talk about the gait score, the locomotion score, we typically talk about the five-point score. At least mm-hmm. that's what ProAction is using, so it's probably fair to use that one here, mm-hmm. um, where five is really a, an animal that's severely lame, three-legged, you used mm-hmm. the term before, whereas a, a one is going to be a sound animal. Talk to me about the threes, because that's what you're really mm-hmm. getting at, right? In ProAction calls these monitor animals so Mm -hmm. they differentiate ones and twos threes fours and five but ones and twos and threes are sort of under this acceptable bracket Mm -hmm. and then fours and five are under our correct requires corrective action so Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when what does mildly lame actually look like or mean from from clem's perspective and 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 why are these such an important component to the lameness discussion when it comes to a how much you have on farm and b what you can do about it yeah, great question. So there are a couple of questions or a couple of points that I'd like to raise with what you've you've just brought up. First of all, the, the scale and the scores that we use. Uh, very good to to specify what scale we're talking about when we're talking about scores, like threes, fours, fives, because there are a number of different scoring systems yeah. out there, and we need to be aware of that when we're talking about lameness uh, with someone or with a group of people that we're all talking about the same scale mm-hmm. um, because there are three-point scales or five-point scales. A three for one scale could be really lame. A three for another scale could be mildly lame. Um, everybody needs to be on the same page when we're talking about lameness, um, which is a bit of a limitation right now when we're talking about lameness in the yep. industry. We're all using different scales. The five-point scale from Zimpro, which a lot of people use, is very different from the five-point scale from Flower and Weary, which is the method that ProAction uses. Um, so... When we are talking about lameness, first of all, we need to set the scene for what scale we're using and what 
those scores mean. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we, we move on to the point of, of mildly lame cows and what those are, for the layperson, when I'm describing these scores, and for production, the key difference between threes and fours is one is monitor, which has today no consequences, and fours are require corrective action, which for the producer does potentially have corrective actions tied to them if there are too many of them on the farm. Right. So that's an important distinction, for example, when I'm training assessors mm-hmm. to be scoring producers' cows. Um, and to lay people, when I'm describing the difference, essentially a four and a five are cows where anybody could tell that that cow is a problem. Like if, you know, some person you plucked out of a grocery store in downtown Toronto comes to your farm and watches cows walk and picks out those cows as, yeah, there's something not right. There's something not, not good there. Like, I don't like that. Those are generally fours and fives. Threes, the mildly lame cows, are not necessarily cows that a layperson that doesn't doesn't score no cows, cows yeah. or no cows would identify as lame, um, and is not necessarily a cow that even producers or veterinarians would identify as lame. That's been kind of a constant um, communication challenge that I've had when I've been t- talking about focusing more on lame on mildly lame cows because what I see as mildly lame because I've been doing it so long and gotten so much different training from different groups and different entities and different people over the course of my career can probably be a very mildly lame cow. Mm -hmm. I've picked them up pretty early. uh, And to someone who hasn't done as much scoring as I have, uh, don't necessarily see the small intricacies and small changes in that cow's gait that would lead me to call her a three. Uh, And that difference between a normal uh, sound cow, which would be a one or a two, and three is the hardest in training to get consistent between observers. Mm because of that level of experience that it takes to identify those cows. Same thing with veterinarians when they're working on horses. Um, Lameness scoring horses takes years to get really good and to identify which part of the leg, which leg is that that horse sore in. Same thing with cows, uh, except that we don't generally have as extensive training programs for cow lameness as we do for horse lameness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's a struggle. But really, any kind of... Um, situation where that cow's mobility is being even slightly affected would be characterized to me as as lame. Um, now, there's a difference between a cow that's adapting her gait, which is a two rather than a one. So a cow that's adapting her gait is like, if you are completely mobile, fine, walking normally, and you hit um, a patch of ice and slip, and you're not sure where the ice is going to come from again, so you're walking across a parking lot, there might be more ice, you're going to adapt your gait. You're going to walk a little bit more carefully. You're going to shorten your stride. You might walk like a penguin. You're going to look different, that's you're gonna, for sure. You're going to yeah, look yeah. different, right? Yeah. Um, and in the cows that we have here in Canada and in North America generally, most of them are housed indoors mm-hmm. on fairly hard surfaces when they're walking, generally wet surfaces, right? There's always the possibility for slipping. Um, traction is, has been a, a challenge for a lot of farms on rubber or concrete, um, even grooves, slatted. There's always that risk of slipping. It's not uh, usually a 100% good traction type of an environment. Some of the sand barns have a better... Um, leg up there, yeah. Leg up on yeah. that one because of the sand that's in the alleys. Um, but if a cow is concerned that she might slip, she's going to adjust her gait because she thinks she might slip. And so she's not necessarily lame, but she is adapting her gait. Mm-hmm. Um, and she might be a little stiff. Some of the older cows do sometimes show a little bit of stiffness in that adaption as well. That's not considered necessarily lame. But if we tip that over to um, a joint problem or a foot problem, any kind of true discomfort or pain associated with walking, that's when we tip into a mildly lame cow. 
And the sooner we can identify that problem, generally the less expensive it is to deal with. Yeah. Right? So a three-legged lame cow, if we see those fours and those fives walking around, generally they're the first cows that go to the trimmer every time the trimmer comes, but they're also always going to the trimmer. Mm-hmm. Whereas those mildly lame cows... Sometimes a quick correction, depending on where that mild lameness is coming from, um, can be much less expensive and prevent you from losing all the potential that loss that she might have, have experienced if you had let that lameness progress. Um, and even mildly lame cows, even though they're still going to the robot or to the parlor or to the feed bunk or to the stalls and they're eating and their production's okay, are probably still experiencing some loss of efficiency. Because a mildly lame cow is not going to be able to defend herself as easily at the feed bunk. She's not going to be able to push her way into the parlor, and she might be some among some of the last cows to come in. She'll be standing longer in the holding areas. All of those things will contribute to potentially, well, to definitely to stress, mm-hmm. but also potentially to losses in fertility and production that you may not notice necessarily um, as drastic reductions, but will add up. Um, so that's why, for me, mild lameness is really the key. And it also prevents cows from progressing to become more severely than cows. So you basically eliminate cows from getting to the point. You eliminate fours and fives altogether if you deal with them early on. Unless, of course, you have a freak accident, mm-hmm. which yep. can happen. Animals are animals. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my big point here. Um, and, and sometimes the best way to describe that is it's like if lameness were a tree uh, and all you're trying to do is kill that tree or remove that tree, and the only way you're doing that is by trimming the low-hanging fruit, which in this case are the mildly or the severely lame cows, the fours and the fives. That tree is just going to keep growing back, right? Those mildly lame cows in the trunk and in the bigger branches are just going to progress into those low-hanging fruit that you're just chopping off. And it's this never-ending battle. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you cut the tree at the trunk where those mildly lame cows are, you're going to stop them from growing back. And that's, that's where we as an industry need to move into more... Uh, preventative, but also earlier detection mm-hmm. before we even start talking about, you know, real solutions to the problem. We have to identify that there is a problem with those mildly lame cows. Mm-hmm. And I think my understanding too, is that those mild proportionally or, or the, you know, let's say if we've got 10%, um, severely lame animals in a herd, we tend to have, that's one third of the full lameness problem. Mm-hmm. Generally, so mm-hmm. if we've got ten percent in severely lame animals in a herd, fours and fives, then we might have another twenty percent in some cases. Easily, it's like the iceberg effect, right? right. So yeah. that's the bigger, you know, like you say, you know, if we've got low hanging fruit showing up, that means there's a lot of other animals maybe we're not seeing as well in yeah. terms of the three legged, the really identified or well identified limp, um, but their gait's abnormal. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes the struggle is that we're spending so much time focusing on the more severe animals, which, you know, corrective actions definitely need to take place. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're spending so much focus on those cows that the animals that would probably most benefit from that attention long term are 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 not getting the attention that they need. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think that's fair. So if we think about um, what producers can do, so you know, regardless of the extent to the uh, of the issue on their farm, there are things they can do to prevent and control uh, lameness. And I think before we get into that, you know, I mentioned already the multifactorial sort of nature, which is you know the way we always talk about the fact that so many different factors combine to to cause lameness, many diseases, not just lameness, but lameness in particular. Um, so 
you know, before we started, Clem, we t- chatted a little bit about some of the huge collection of, of issues. Do you want to comment on that a little bit and some of where you see some of the more common uh, factors contributing to lameness and then some of the other ones that we maybe don't catch as much mm-hmm. or don't focus on as, as much when it comes to what's causing lameness in our herds? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a big identify lameness as the, the first step to everything person. Uh, but once we've identified it, what do we do? And I think there's a couple of different things that we need to talk about when it comes to that. First of all, uh, most farms are working with a trimmer or have taken, or producers have taken, taken trimming courses or learned from trimmers and do their own trimming. Um, and, and those knowledgeable people can identify foot health problems. And, uh, most of the industry accepts or acknowledges that a majority of the lameness problems come down to a foot health problem. Mm -hmm. And then if that is the case, if there is a foot health problem on the farm, then you have to differentiate between an infectious and non-infectious foot health issue and what per- percentage of the lame cows are experiencing, what percentage of those issues. Um, and infectious and non-infectious problems each have their own corrective actions um, or potential resolutions. Uh, and that's something that both veterinarians and trimmers can really act um, in a very supportive role in, in helping a producer address those types of issues. Right. Now, I'm not as knowledgeable in foot health correction plans um, as, as others in the industry are, so I don't want to comment too much on, in that space. Um, but I think it is very important to identify whether you have an infectious and non-infectious problem and then deal with those problems. And infectious problems, obviously, are generally caused by bacteria, mm-hmm. actually viruses, uh, and non-infectious problems are caused generally by the environment um, that the cows are in and what's causing that non-infection an infectious injury to occur in the foot. Mm-hmm. So if we kind of leave the foot health aspect to one side for now and think about other reasons why cows may be lame, that is the area that I spend a lot of time in because I think it's an area that's under-emphasized in our industry and actually becoming more and more of a problem. So yes, a cow can limp because she's a foot health problem. Like she's got digital dermatitis or she's got an ulcer or white line disease. But if you or I um, hurt our backs and try to walk after a back injury, we're not going to walk normally. Or if you or I have uh, joint problems or bone or ligament or tendon problems, we're going to limp. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with our feet, even though if our feet are injured, yes, we'll limp as well. Um, But cows are mammals that experience the same types of injuries that we do related to skeletal problems, bone damage, arthritis, ligament or tendon injuries, especially on low traction surfaces, so very slippery surfaces, a lot of splitting that happens, pulling of muscles and ligaments. And if they hurt their backs, hurt their spines, hurt their necks, they will also limp. Those are non-foot health related reasons that a cow might express discomfort when she's moving, but they're also um, much more difficult to deal with once they've occurred. Because how are you going to treat a cow that has a back injury? I mean, if she's, if she's okay enough to, to be moving around, she might be limping, but no amount of foot baths are going to help her at that point. Mm-hmm. So the key there is to really make sure that we're minimizing injuries from occurring to joints and to spines of dairy cows from the point that they're born. Um, and a lot of this damage can be done as heifers. Because heifers potentially just like teenagers. I know I'm anthropomorphizing and comparing to people here, but they do things that maybe as adult cows, they would have chosen not to do. And uh, they run around, they fall, they slip, they jump on each other. Um, And they're generally kept in environments that are maybe less cushy 
then mature milking dairy cows are kept in um, potentially less bedding, less focus on traction, different kinds of flooring and alleys. And yet that is a time when your 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 joints are forming or are 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 melding together. Um, when you're growing at a pace that, or when a heifer is growing at a pace that um, is fairly significant, especially as younger heifers, an injury at that point can cause damage for the rest of her life that is going to be causing her to be lame, right. right? Or have mobility issues for the rest of her life. So how do we prevent those? By trying to make sure that the environments that those animals are, are living in are very low risk for those types of injuries. Um, but we also have to think about mild lame cows and, and how I've seen a number of herds where their foot health programs are really strong. Their trimming schedules are really great. They're trimming at the right stages of lactation. They're doing all the preventive work they can. And they're still experiencing pretty significant mildly lame problems. Mm -hmm. Like the cows are stiff, are not moving right. Um, they're not super comfortable on their feet. Why? Sometimes stalls are too small or too short or too narrow. We're focusing a lot on foot health. It's a priority. I think a majority of the lameness is foot health related. But I also think that if we don't provide comfortable spaces for cows to both grow and to live in, um, problems in joints, spines, backs, those are going to happen. And there's nothing we can do once they've occurred to really mm -hmm. fix them. Yep. Um, so both sides, both aspects need to be emphasized. Yeah. And and I like that because, I mean, the goal is to get our cows lying down, yeah. you know, and and, and yeah. so we're trying to provide comfy places for them to, mm -hmm. to, to relax. Um, and it's important to recognize for a whole host of reasons that, you know, one or many aspects of our stall designs may need to change or... Yeah. Um, may be contributing to the issue. And there's been a lot of blindness around that. Um, and cows do sleep like like we do. Um, they do have REM cycles. They go through the same sleep patterns that most mammals, if not all mammals do, um, just broken up throughout the day and the night rather than ours back to back overnight. And so that's very important to make sure that we understand what a comfortable cow looks like. And my best example of what comfortable cows look like is there's a farm in, um, in southern Ontario that built a compost pack barn that was something that was fairly high risk because compost pack barns do come with potentially somatic cell issues, utter health issues if you're not managing it just right and with the right humidity. But his cows were, they had severe lameness problems. Um, and I did a cow's assessment uh, with Novus when, before he had built that new barn in the old facility, in the old freestyle facility, there were a lot of lameness problems. You fast forward about two years, he had built the farm, the cows had been in it for about a year. And it, the pictures, I mean, the cows, you think that they were all knocked out, like they were all unconscious. <laughs> they're all flat out on their sides and they're lame, like their gates have come basically done a 180 for the most part. Even some of the more severely lame cows that I thought was too late mm -hmm. uh, made quite significant recoveries. And that's where I'm like, you know, what we're seeing as comfortable in a freestall parn with stalls, is it truly comfortable for the cows or can we still do better by giving them a little bit more space or making sure that we're following the requirements um, for the 50 inches install width and making sure we're fitting the right length? I'm not saying everybody should go out and build a compost pack barn. Not at all. I'm not saying that I don't like stalls. Not at all. But I do think that we need to keep in mind what the baseline, just like for what a mild or a sound cow looks like, what the baseline for comfort is, like what is a truly comfortable cow look like rather than what is the most comfortable a cow can look like in a facility that looks like this. Sure. Yep. There's a difference. Yeah. Um, so, so given all of the, the issues that, you know, can, can be present in the barn that can ultimately present themselves in, in, as lameness, is zero lameness achievable? 
I think that it is. Um, that being said, I think that cows are animals. They are living, breathing creatures with their own brains that make their own decisions and sometimes don't make the best decisions. So accidents will and, and can happen anytime a uh, cow will injure herself and that'll happen. So I think that it is possible to get to the point where you're just dealing with freak accidents rather than dealing with a, a chronic systemic thing. chronic lameness problem. I do think that we're going to, we as an industry need to really rethink how we're housing cows in order to make that happen. Um, and some really drastic innovations need to take place for us to get there. Yep. So a lot of management needs to be needs to be taken on with a specific focus on how do we make this the best environment from a lameness perspective. Yeah, I think if 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 your number one goal is to eliminate lameness in your herd as a producer, I think it's definitely doable. But it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and potentially a lot of money. Um, and not everyone has access to any or all of those resources. Yeah. Uh, and so to expect that of an industry as it is today and expect producers to just get to 0% lameness is not fair, I don't think. Um, there are just too many things that are creating this problem. Uh, so we need to, as an industry, progress and try to innovate in this space to figure out better solutions for both housing cows and also for treating cows when they do have a lameness problem. Um, but if your number one goal is to completely reduce lameness, yes, I've seen farms that have less than 5% lameness mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis. It's possible. It's definitely doable. But they're spending a lot of time and effort doing that. And they get a lot of value and really are very proud of their facilities, as they should be. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's doable for individual farms. Yep. Well, and the comment I'd, I'd tack on to that, because I think that's right, is is that Regardless of you mentioned, you know, is it your number one goal? I'd, I'd urge producers to think about what is, do you have a goal for lameness? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, what what's a reasonable goal, mm-hmm. you know? And, and for some, it's not going to be that level right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I hear from you, Clem, and certainly what my experience has been talking with many people and reading many things is that um, we're still trying to get awareness, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up on, you know, the extent to which mildly lame animals may mm-hmm. contribute to... If efficiency issues in the herd and our pain can be painful. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a reason to have a goal there. For sure. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, dissuade anyone from focusing on lameness. Definitely. Everyone should, if, if, um, they feel that lameness is important, should focus on it. Uh, and I think we as an industry have agreed that lameness is an important issue, priority yeah. issue. So we can all make strides towards reducing lameness for sure. Um, having a, a an achievable goal though is important. Yeah. So saying zero lameness, is it possible? I wouldn't want to set that goal for producers today because I don't think it's a fair goal for them or for anyone. Um, that being said, having a goal of reducing lameness by 10% or 15% or whatever it is based on your facility, definitely you will see progress and you um, will succeed because you're, you're giving yourself achievable goals mm-hmm. and not um, disappointing yourself if you don't make those in possibly large goals, potentially, yep. for sure. Uh, so that's that. there's a difference there. And the one thing that I will mention when we think about barn blindness, we think about the day-to-day, we've normalized things, but there's another aspect to it, which is just like if you have a child or, you know, a puppy or even heifers, if you look at their growth rates day-to-day, you don't notice them growing day-to-day. Just like lameness, you may not notice improvements or on the flip side, lameness getting worse on a day-to-day basis. But taking a step back, looking over the course of six months, 
that's when you'll see a real difference mm-hmm. in growth rates, but also in, in lameness. So sometimes it can be very discouraging to be focusing on lameness and not seeing progress day to day. But that is really not the best way to see and uh, see progress or see success. You, the best way to see success in lameness, because it's going to be a slow process, is to take snapshots every six months. Like if you're doing your lameness scoring and your corrective action plans and all of that on a day-to-day basis, that's great. If you've got some from the outside that you know, that you trust in terms of their perspective that comes in and helps you score your cows or score for lameness once every six months and compare their scores, you're mm-hmm. going to see those changes and you're going to see those results. And that's what the Novus Cows program was really good at um, because we would come every once, like once a year, once every couple of years to some farms because they wanted to be rescored to, to track progress. So they acknowledge that on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to score. It's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't want to get discouraged, so they use those snapshots to track success. Yep. And your support team, it can be your nutritionist or your vet or whoever that, that you trust, can be a great resource for that and to track that progress over over time. But it does take time. So don't be discouraged if after you know changing your foot bath routine the following week, you don't see a drastic reduction in, mm-hmm. in your digital dermatitis. It does yep. it does take time. That's, a, I think, a really good point. It's It gets back to, yeah, achievability of your goals comes down to how you set them. And, and it's not just about saying, I want. It's about saying, when's that reasonable to happen? What are you going to do to get there? And so on. So I think on that note, Clem, I think that's a good place to end. So thanks very much for uh, for your time, for your insights. Really valuable. And thanks very much. I hope everyone uh, got something out of it. Thanks, Steve. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca. And don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thanks for listening. (music) 